0: Hey, what's going on? It's Arden Swelling, and this is At The Letters, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger. I'm coming to you this week from high above Manhattan, where I found myself as uh, I'm covering the Toronto Blue Jays on their current road trip through Boston and the Bronx. It's a pretty grueling period in the Blue Jays' schedule, honestly. They're, they're playing 16 games in 16 days. We're like right in the middle of the season. 12 of those 16 games are on the road. I mean, it's a lot. It's kind of dog day-ish uh but it hasn't been going as bad as as you might think you know even for a team that's 20 games below 500 there's been some big moments there's been some good offensive performances you know we've seen some good pitching here and there i swear that on the weekend i saw the toronto blue jays win back-to-back games against the boston red Sox, against the defending world series champions in fenway park the blue jays just haven't won back-to-back games against really anyone too often this season so uh hey you got that ben's off this week he's on vacation hope he's enjoying it uh hope he's having a beverage or two in his place i've pulled in a man you should all be familiar with dan Schulman. you know him from blue jays broadcasts on sportsnet obviously from his years of calling sunday night baseball uh and you're gonna hear dan with buck martinez on the international feed of next month's all-star game which you can, of course, watch on Sportsnet. So always great to have Dan on. Uh, we talked, as as you might have guessed, about the Blue Jays. Uh, we talked about everything from Aaron Sanchez's season of struggle, um, Marcus Stroman's let's call it interesting day in the Bronx, Toronto's beleaguered pitching staff, whether or not Jordan Romano's demotion was deserved, hint it was not, Lourdes Goriel Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, and everything in between. Always great chatting with Dan. Uh, He watches the game closer than anybody, probably because that is literally his job. So here you have it. Dan Schulman on at letters. I'm Arden Zwelling, as always. Please enjoy. Here with Dan Schulman, thank you so much for joining us this week, filling in for Ben as he vacations on the coast of Italy. Appreciate it. <laughs> is that it. where he is? Yeah, that's
1: exactly where he is. When he gets away, he gets away. He does it right. Yeah. He does good it. For right.
0: him. We've come here to rainy, humid New York. Yes. Uh, and we watched Aaron Sanchez pitch last night, and I really struggled with how to write about it. Even just trying to encapsulate this season that he's had, and I felt like the outing that he had on Monday night was really kind of a microcosm of his season. So he's smooth sailing through four, bloop single here, infield single there, but he's striking guys out. he's keeping the ball on the ground, command a little spotty, but it always is with him. and then things just snowball. yeah
2: Brett Gardner, DJ. LeMahieu and Luke Voigt.'ll we'll bat against Aaron Sanchez who is twirling a pretty good ball game for Toronto. LeMahieu took a leadoff walk, singled into the third inning. the pitch curb ball low liner. And a lunging attempt by Bezio, who slid to his right, and the ball hopped over him. Goes into center field, a base hit for Lemayhew. Bezio now shades towards the middle with the right-handed hitting Luke Voigt. Rudder at first. The pitch by Sanchez, hit hard towards the shortstop and through. Into left field, a base hit. Two runs in the first have held up so far for Toronto. Yankees mounting their first big threat. The 2-0 to Hicks. Swing a shot down the right field line off the protective netting foul. That's a loud strike one on Hicks. Good lead at second by LeMahieu. The pitch by Sanchez. Ripped down the right field line. That's trouble. Aaron Hicks with a three-run shot.
0: And that's kind of been his season where he's had these periods where he's looked like himself, he's looked like the old guy, and then he's had these other periods where it's been just disastrous.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I thought there was progress last night. I thought he pitched better than the line. The line wound up seven runs, I think, in five and a third, if I'm not mistaken, and like you said, four scoreless innings. Although he did, he walked a couple guys early, but he got out of it. He'll do that. He'll do that, right. So even at his best, he'll do that. You know, if he can cut the walks from – five and a half per nine to four or four and a half per nine. I think that helps him a lot because like you said, it seems like things can snowball. And instead of being a guy who can get away with mistakes and come out unscathed, now he's a guy who's got to pitch around mistakes or be perfect in order to emerge unscathed. And, You know, like you said, there was a swinging bunt for a base hit. There was a ball that hit. I don't think I've ever seen this before. It hit his glove and then Galvis's glove and then went into center field. You know, and then Aaron Hicks hits a three run homer. And then, you know, in the sixth inning, it wasn't good for him as well. And and I talked to him a few days ago and I was expecting to hear a higher level of frustration in his voice because, you know, human nature would be to be losing your mind with everything that's gone on the last three years. But he seemed okay. He still seemed to be in the headspace of at least I'm healthy. I've got that. And everything else will. We'll get there. But, you know, he's got to be just kind of what could happen next. And, you know, even like inherited runs coming in after he leaves, making the line look worse. Trade value is the obvious question. I don't know how much there is when teams look at his last five starts and see all the earned runs he's given up. I don't know how much value there is. I think at this point, probably the best thing for the Blue Jays to do is keep rolling him out there and hope that things get better.
0: They have to
1: because they have such a
0: lack of starting pitching right now. They've got a bullpen day in their rotation. You know, they had a bullpen day coming in that Red Sox series for a while and they just kind of threw their hands in the air and said, yeah, we have no one to make this start. And with Sanchez, it's, you know, there's the things you can blame him for, like the walks, uh, some of the hard contact, the Hicks ball that was hit out. It was the exact same pitch that he had thrown to Hicks. Right. A pitch prior that Hicks had absolutely tuned into the protective netting along the right field foul territory. And he went right back to the same spot, same pitch. And maybe he was trying to go
1: somewhere else. Right. And I don't know if he shook Maley off to get to that pitch or not. And, you know, sometimes the right pitch gets hit and the wrong pitch you still get an out on. But I agree with you. I saw that it was the identical pitch. And to me, and, and you're better at this than I am, but I mean, he was throwing 95. We saw a 96 last night. Like the velocity looked pretty good. I don't see as much sink in the sinker Mm -hmm. and he's never been a huge strikeout guy which is funny but when he's on ground ball ground ball ground ball and he still gets a lot of ground balls but you know you tell me if you know I I don't know if his sinker's dropping two inches instead of five inches or what the difference is but it looks like especially left-handed batters are having really good looks at his fastball well
0: and he remarks to me that the that one that Hicks hit out
1: I mean it's their plan here you know they look out over and try to hook it it's 314
0: down the line it is what it is. I didn't think it was a bad pitch. Maybe flattened out a little bit, but hey, he made a good swing on it and put him ahead. Yeah, and even just talking to some people around the club after the game last night, it was yeah, I you know, nobody really understood why they went back to that pitch. You know, people said that was maybe the one mistake that he made on the night was that pitch, and that's where things snowballed. You put that on him and you put the walks on him, but some of the other stuff you really can't. The guy comes out of a, an outing with a broken fingernail. You know, the guy has a blister that gets him out of another outing. You can't fault guys for things like that. You know, he catches a 100 mile an hour comebacker from Brett Gardner off his left shin, which left a welt, which
1: had to affect him. I mean, that's 100 miles an hour off your shin. Well, and it was you right after that. that, single, single homer, and, and it's 3 2. Gone. Right. And so cart and horse who knows right
0: and after that the hard contact started to happen right the curveball wasn't quite dropping the way that it was earlier and you know maybe it was the third time through the order and he was just losing effectiveness or maybe that had something to do with it but that's why i kind of struggled with how to wrap my head around this sanchez season because there have been things that have been his fault and then a lot of things that haven't been and it's produced a guy who's got a 589 era right
1: now he's having the worst season of his career he's walking far too many hitters it's funny because early his ERA was really good, yeah. but he was still walking far too many hitters, but he was getting away with it or pitching around it or or you know getting a double play ball when he needed to. But the only way I think of the start again although the numbers are ugly, you know having watched the start, it was better than his last two starts. So, you know, if you want to look at the glasses half full, there was progress. And it's almost inevitable with me whenever I after an Aaron Sanchez start, my mindset generally goes to Well, let's see what happens in five days. Let's see what happens in five days. Because we've seen Aaron Sanchez. Now, maybe 2016 is the anomaly, but we've seen him win an ERA title. We've seen him be really, really good. And I know a lot of people are saying, put him in the bullpen, put him in the bullpen. And I'm not so sure that's not the right move. But it's not the right move now. Not today. Because they don't have anybody else to start.
0: Right? So. <laughs> that could be the right move next season. And yeah. even from Aaron Sanchez's perspective, as he heads towards free agency after next season, he needs to figure out what he's going to be. As a free agent, because right now as a free agent starter, you got to, you know, if he was entering free agency after this year as a starter with a six ERA and he's, you know, walks through the roof, yeah. how many people are really going to pay a lot for that? Yeah,
1: there's more value in being a good reliever than an ineffective starter, right? And every reliever used to be a starter. Every reliever probably struggled with the idea of not being a starter anymore. You know, there isn't a 14 year old kid in the world who says, I want to be a seventh inning guy. You know, that's not how it works. But you know, Daniel Hudson was a starter. Nick Kingham was a starter. Mariano Rivera was a failed starter who turned into the best reliever in history. Um, Look at what Brendan Morrow did. Right. After he left the blue Jays, a number of failed, you know, tries as a starter, goes to the Cubs. Well, look at what we might be seeing with Jordan Romano. We don't know. It's way too early to make that assessment, but you know, the funny thing, again, about Aaron is he's not a huge strikeout guy. Nope. So I don't know if he would project as a closer if he were moved to the bullpen. But again, I, I don't think we're there yet or the Jays are there yet. Now, in the second half of the year, if Baruchy's back, if Merryweather's, if they have other options and if Sanchez continues to struggle, maybe it's something they consider. But uh, who's his next one against? It'll be against Kansas City, I guess. Yeah. It'll be against Kansas City at home it feels to me like he walked out of this start feeling better than he did his last two. And you know, if he can get to six innings, three runs territory, yeah, I know it's a four and a half ERA, but that's progress. You alluded to it. The trade value pretty much cratered with Aaron Sanchez right now. If you're the blue
0: Jays, I mean, you've got to be leaning towards probably hanging on to Aaron Sanchez through the deadline. Unless a deal comes out of nowhere, you got to be thinking about let's hang on to him. Let's get him fixed up, get him right. Maybe we try this again next season a guy whose trade value is heading in the complete opposite direction, Marcus Stroman, who goes into Boston and just shoves through six innings and has a really, really fine outing. He's pitched twice against Boston this year. 12 innings allowed just one earned run. That goes a long way, I think. Shoving against that Lineup, I think really those starts in those situations on Sunday at Fenway and, you know, Marcus talked about it, you know, everybody's screaming and, and the emotions high and, and there's a, you know, there's a bit of rivalry there between him and, and some of the Red Sox, obviously their manager
1: included. And he goes out and, and performs that goes a long way. Listen, he's right when he says, and to no one's surprise, the New York media surrounded Stroman on his first day in the Bronx to find out what he want to pitch for the Yankees, Long Island guy and all that stuff. So, when Marcus says he loves the big stage, he's not lying. Now, he's not always been like he hadn't pitched terribly well against in New York before. But listen, the guy has pitched well in the playoffs. And he has pitched extraordinarily well in the World Baseball Classic, which to me is not to be discounted. That's a big stage. Absolutely. And, and he was the most outstanding player, or whatever the award was called, at the WBC. I think it's interesting because you, know, you and I have both covered Marcus for a while. Yes, he would, he's been on the big stage with Toronto. He craves it. He craves the, the spotlight, you know, bring on the pressure, bring on the scrutiny, let's go. He's not going to have that in Toronto for the next couple of years. I do believe he's 100% sincere when he says he loves Toronto, and he loves Canada. Right. That's not fake. I also think he wants to pitch in October. And I believe he's going to be traded. I don't know if you do. I, I'm sure I, you do as well. I yeah. Do. <laughs> yeah. They just, uh, you know, they've got five weeks to figure out how to fill that spot in the rotation. You know, because they didn't get as much as they wanted last year for certain guys, some of the uh, reasons for that beyond their control. Because Sanchez is not that tradable right now. Because Smoke, you know, who had some trade value, but he's on the IL right now, I think they're probably going to try to get what they can for Stroman and Giles. Those are the two chips they have to play right now. And, and, The Stroman to the Yankees thing, it's just a natural story. You couldn't miss it if you tried. Maybe he winds up in Atlanta or San Diego or or Milwaukee or Philadelphia but the Strowman to the yankee story is an obvious one and for new- the new york media it's a juicy one it's low hanging fruit right well it was even just interesting to watch
0: him operate yesterday in the bronx as you mentioned the swarm of media that like just you know rushed his locker as soon as he was there and answered all the questions maybe had his longest scrum of the year he's out on the field at bp he's not out shagging in the outfield he is on the infield he's running around you know he's talking to guys on the other side he's behind the cage he's got his little brother's entire baseball team out wearing hdmh
1: jerseys <laughs> right. and hats like right. and it, marcus stroman knows what's up he gets it he he knows what he's doing so i wasn't at the stroman scrum you were yes i was in charlie's office did you i can't remember I if came you, in you came in after yeah. so and then the same five or six media members who surrounded marcus came right back in and at again it was media 101 you could have predicted the questions that were coming the toronto media were just sitting there letting the new york media get it out of their system and and i actually thought charlie did great because you don't want to make the brush fire any bigger, you, and Charlie said all the right things. I'm not focused on that. He's great for us. Every five days,
2: Stroman, he's been good the whole time. Like I feel so comfortable when he's pitching. Like I'm just sitting back and let him let him go. Hopefully, he doesn't throw too many pitches because he's going to give you a chance.
1: It's natural that these stories would be out there.
2: I mean, this is a great place, just like Yankee Stadium, and, and these places are, are tough places to play. And he enjoys that. He likes that. It,
1: And I feel for Charlie. I mean, it's a tough situation to be in. It's his first time managing in the major leagues, and I'm sure he's loving it. But there's also been a lot of stuff that he's had to deal with that maybe he might not have anticipated he would have to deal with at the beginning of the year. But, I mean, if you're the Blue Jays, if you're Ross Atkins and company, this is the deal. you got to nail it. You have to. you got to do better than
0: you did for Hap last year. Yes. You really do.
1: Yes. And Stroman is younger, currently cheaper And has one more year of control, so you figure you're going to get more. You know, I've never made a baseball trade in my life, other than in my fantasy leagues when I'm (laughs) when I'm horrible at it. But (laughs) if it were me, instead of seeing three guys or two B minus C plus level guys, one of these guys has to be an A. Yeah, as you know, teams are so protective of their prospects, prospect capital. I guess is the phrase uh, uh, du jour. Yeah. Yeah, but. You've got to get as close to a, a can't-miss guy as you can, and it's got to be a pitcher, in my mind. you got to start
0: top 100 prospect. That's where the conversation begins, and then you add a couple of pieces after that. Yeah, It's important to remember Nick Kingham was a top 100 prospect in MLB not that long ago, and now he was available to the Blue Jays for cash. So these things change right. in an awful hurry. So as, as protective as teams are yeah. of their prospects, sometimes they needn't be because yeah. the prospect's value is never higher than before he gets to MLB exactly. and shows what he is. Exactly. Because the vast majority of them do not perform as well
1: in the show as they do in the minors. It's just so like Labor Torres got traded in the Chapman deal. But that was the Cubs who hadn't won a World Series in 108 years and knew they had a really good team. That's an unused, I, I don't know that any team will trade with that sort of desperation this year. Mejia got traded, the catching prospect got traded from Cleveland to San Diego. Great. Right. So but a team's top top prospect getting traded is rare mm-hmm. these days. But like I don't think the trade can be for a team's twenty fourth best prospect and two other guys. But then again, you take the best offer you can get. You know? Your hands and, and are tied in a certain way. You know, with Jay Happ, I'm, I'm sure the Blue Jays took the best offer
0: that was out there. And we look at it today, and we look at it now a year in the rear view, and we say, you know, Brandon Drury and Billy McKinney, like, you know, maybe you could have done a bit better. Mm-hmm. That might have just been what, the best thing that they could get.
1: Right. I spent a little time yesterday just for fun looking at the Yankees farm system. And I've never seen any of these guys play, obviously. But they've got a kid in Double A, Davy Garcia, twenty years old. He's their fourth ranked prospect. And again, somebody has decided he's their fourth ranked prospect. To you know, to reframe it, Sean Reed Foley is currently the Blue Jays' seventh ranked prospect. That to me does not seem to be. You know, (laughs) things fluctuate. That's a snapshot that was taken a while ago. You get what I'm saying. So, but Davy Garcia is their fourth ranked prospect. He's twenty. He's at double A, which means he's young for that league. And he's made two starts going something like 11 and a third, three hits, two walks, 21 strike Ridiculous number, Like ridiculous numbers. Right. He's a little guy. He's 5'9", 165. But he appears to be really good. Like, is that the guy you have to have? I don't know. If they make the deal with the Yankees. but. Clint Fraser's the name with the Yankees that's going to keep yeah. coming up. And they've
0: come out and said, you know, we're not going to trade him even for a player who only has another year of control. You know, like we always looked at this year as a development year for Clint Fraser. And yeah. we're going to start again with him next year. There's obviously an issue with him and the organization. He's not happy. Yes. And they're going to have to figure that out. Yes. And if I were them, I would also be trying to create this leverage right now and yes. trying to set
1: my price as high as possible. Yeah, I don't know if that's the guy for the Blue Jays. He looks like he can really hit. Yeah. He also looks like, or from you know people who have seen the Yankees and the numbers say, he's a below-average defender, like right. he's had problems in the outfield. Um, Blue Jays has some of those. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he's a right-handed batter. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying you don't make the deal because he's a right-handed batter, but a good bat, below-average defense, right-hand-hitting outfielder who's had some friction with the team and some friction with the media. Right. I don't know if that can be the centerpiece of a deal for a guy like Marcus Stroman, and, and Stroman's value will never be higher than it is today. Well, you look at Ken Giles and where his value was before he came
0: to the Blue Jays—a right. guy who had friction with team, right? Friction with media, a guy who punched himself in the face right. as he was coming off of the mound, and a guy who had had some baffling underperformance. And the Blue Jays bring him in and get him in a new, you know, some new scenery and fix He's been him a up. Good citizen. And- yeah. And look at him now. He's yeah. probably going to the All Star game as a Toronto
1: Blue Jay if he's still a Toronto right. Blue Jay at that point. Well, it's him or Strowman; those are the two. Yeah, you know, unless Guriel keeps hitting like <laughs> like he's hitting, he's been great. But I think it's Giles or Strowman. But but I agree with you; things can change. And I think the narrative on Giles has changed to a certain extent. But I also think you know we look at it through the Toronto prism. He's been great here. This is our experience with Ken Giles, yeah. and he's an interesting one to me because there's definitely trade value for him. I wonder if a like a real contending team, so let's say the Boston Red Sox, right. who I still think are a contending team, and don't have a defined closer or a lights-out closer, would they trade for Ken Giles to be their closer? I think a super team, say the Dodgers, sure. might trade for Ken Giles to pitch in front of Kenley Jansen, and he's a plan B if Jansen gets hurt. Yeah. So again, I, I think there's value there, but I... I don't think there's when Andrew Miller was traded, when Aroldis Chapman was traded. I don't think there's quite that value. The Blue Jays will get something for him. And again, you got to nail the deal. But, you know, we talk a lot about the lack of uh, starting pitching, but then who closes games? And I'm not a guy who says, well, when you're a bad team, it doesn't matter if you blow games in the ninth inning. It, it does matter. It's demoralizing as hell. <laughs> and you need somebody. Who's that guy? Is Joe Biagini going to do it? Is Jordan Romano going to do it? Like, yeah. who's the guy? So.
0: Biagini was the name that was going to... He's the guy who has done it when Giles hasn't been available. And Daniel Hudson could probably do it as well. Daniel Hudson could probably do it, yeah. I mean, he wouldn't be rattled
1: by it. No. Um, you know, but they've a, gone to Biagini in those spots. Right. And, and two months from now, or maybe a year from now, it could be Romano. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean... Big fastball, hard slider, attacks the strike zone. You know, he looks the part. Right. But he's made th- three or four major league appearances. Four. So we Four, and he's currently in Buffalo, so we don't want to get crazy. But it's 2019, how far off the rails... Can you tolerate it going in order to make 2021 better? That's it's a tough decision.
0: It's interesting, Romano. He was dealt such a tough hand in Boston, such a bitter pill for him yeah. to swallow, having to be the guy who was the odd man out and having to, you know, the Blue Jays having to play the numbers game. And Joe Sheehan talked to us about it and said it sucks. Mm-hmm. It sucks for them, it sucks for him. To me, the Blue Jays had other options there, and I know that you know the Blue Jays had just acquired Nick Kingham, uh, and there's a market for him. When they acquired him, there were other teams interested, so they thought, well, he's not going to get through waivers. Fine. I think you could have gotten Derek Law through waivers. Maybe the Blue Jays didn't want to risk it, but if you lose Derek Law, are you really panicking? You know, which is no offense to him at all. Fine, major league pitcher, obviously came over in the Pilar deal, but I would have taken that risk to keep Jordan Romano on the roster. Sam Gaviglio, a guy who has an option, who you could have optioned, who is going to be down for a few days yep. anyway, yep. and you're bringing up Sean Reed Foley to cover length in the bullpen, yep. I thought the Blue Jays had other ways to get through that roster crunch in that situation. you got nine guys in your bullpen right now, Dan. Yep. I didn't like the message that it sent meritocratically, if that is even a word. Uh, it's beyond my vocabulary, <laughs> but I'll give it to you. Yeah. But you know what I mean by <laughs> yes, it. Yeah, yeah. That Jordan Romano strikes out 11 of the 19 batters he's faced. Meritocratically. In big it might be a word. Yeah. <laughs> that Jordan Romano yeah. pitches as well as he has and gets demoted for it. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm still struggling with calling him Romano instead of Romano, but this is what we've been told to do. <laughs> so he is Jordan Romano. I agree with you. So you were there, I was there, and, and, the, and Joshi and the assistant GM said they just you know, it sucks. Romano's got options, Law and Kingham, and he didn't throw out other people's names. This is you and I doing it. Yes, yes. So let's say, Derek, Law or Kingham, they don't have options and they don't want to risk losing anybody because they don't have enough pitching depth. I understand that, obviously. So that only comes to play. I mean, if Law's in the majors and Romano's in the minors, or if Romano's in the majors and Law's in the minors, you've got the same amount of depth. You've still got both of them. It only comes into play where if you lose Law, for lack of a better person to choose. And then somebody on your major league team gets hurt. And then you have to go down and get somebody and Derek Law is not there to get. Right. And again, I understand that. So that's not one thing. That's two or three different things have to happen where you get to that step where you need somebody. And Justin Schaefer is sitting down in the minor leagues. And I think most people would say, well, let's give Justin Schaefer another look. He's done. Okay. So I agree with you. I thought there were other ways they could do it. The Gavilia one is interesting. Because Sam's been really good this year. Sam appears to have found the role that will allow him to stay in the major leagues. He hasn't been as good recently as he was earlier. There's been some harder contact. And I guess you know, if they were to send him down, it would use up the option this year so they would not have it available to them next year because he only has one option remaining. But I'm with you. I, I understand the logical level. But I do think the, the message it sends, the emotion that it creates has to be considered. And listen, it's not our toy to play with, but I agree with you. I think they could have found another way. The riskiest way would have been do nothing right. and hope you get through the game. And if you get through one game without a disaster, you know what I mean? The storm clouds have cleared, but I understand why they, why they weren't willing to do that. And, and I just hope... Romano's back. And the weird thing would be if in 10 days they DFA Lar Kingham. Right. Then... There's some hindsight there, but you know what I'm saying. Even with not wanting to use the
0: option on Sam Gaviglio, I mean, are you really thinking ahead to 2020 when you're, oh, I hope we still have that option on Sam Gaviglio, which is like not a knock against him at all, but
1: is he a part of the long-term future of this ball club? It, It feels to me that the first level of conversation that always happens, and I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm sure it happens in every other organization to a certain extent, is keeping as much talent and as many options in the organization as possible. So you try Brito, and you try Hanson, and then you move a guy to the 60-day because you don't have to take him off the roster. And it's about having as many different choices as possible. And listen, if Romano's back in 10 days, and he's not emotionally scarred, he he gets it. Then ultimately everything will be okay. And I do believe, even though it was only three or four appearances – that Pete Walker, Charlie Montoyo, Joshi, and Ross Atkins, I do believe that all of them said, "Whoa, yeah, maybe, like well, not for sure, but may and, and he wasn't even in a maybe category, I mean, he was off the roster, yeah if I'm not mistaken, they kept like lighter and other guy he was off the roster he goes to the white Sox. goes to the rangers comes back yeah they put murphy on and diaz like
0: they had yeah and they they lost him and travis bergen went to san francisco right. they're and kind of lucky to
1: still have him in the organization right now, narrowly you know? missed making
0: yeah. the texas rangers right. out of camp he had one brutal outing with them during spring otherwise he was the guy that we've seen now and for
1: whatever reason texas didn't take him north like if we play a game and i say okay the Start naming me players who you are convinced will be a part of this going forward. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, um, Vlad and Biggio and Guriel, and you can say Bichette, even though he's not here. So that's the core four, probably, for this team. After that, I'm getting to Romano pretty quickly, who I think have a chance to be a part of this going forward. You know, Trent Thornton has opened up some eyes. Gritchick is signed. Yeah. But... In the bullpen, and, and we both know how much bullpens can fluctuate from year to year. Like Jordan Romano is going to be there. Well, that's why I'll be so
0: interested to see just a bigger sample from him. Maybe that's part of the reason why I'm mad that he went down because I wanted to see more. Yeah, you know, fastball slider guy, guy who pounds the zone. He's probably going to give up some home runs, right? And we've seen that. You've seen yeah. him give up the two, the one Christian Vasquez hit. I mean, opposite field in a, a year where the ball seems to be carrying more than ever before. I know there's some people in that clubhouse who saw that ball go out and thought really like that swing and that ball and that pitch say what you will about how the ball's manufactured or if it was a humid night or sorry afternoon at at Fenway, what have you. But I am just kind of interested to see how sustainable what he's doing is pounding the zone with, you know, 97 98 and a power slider behind it. It reminds me a bit of Jason Grilly a little Mm -hmm. bit, right? And, you might have some bad home run luck there, but you might also have these runs where you strike out Mike Trout,
1: Shohei Ohtani, he got J.D. Martinez. He yep. might also look really good. Yep. You can look at it as, hey, he's given up a couple of big home runs. You, you can make numbers do different things for you. You can also say, if I'm not mistaken, we, we had this graphic on the telecast, I think, in the, that game in Boston. He's faced 19 batters. He's given up two hits. He has struck out 11 guys. Yep. If you look at it that way, you, you're going, wow. Those two hits just happen to be home runs. They both happen to be home runs and one happened to be a game winner. So now the important thing for him is to, and he knows this obviously, is to not then nibble because if they're going to take me deep. I mean, he struck out I think he went five outs, right, in that game, an inning and two-thirds, and all five outs were strikeouts. Struck out the side and yeah, And the then struck out two guys and, in, the, in the next inning and, and gave up the home run. And he so. was a
0: pitch away from yeah. getting out of it. He had two strikes. I forget who the hitter was. might have been Martinez, and he caught him in the elbow. Right. That's right. And then up comes Vasquez, and
1: the ball's out of the yard, and the Red Sox are walking it off. I mean, if you're looking for positives, and sometimes we do and sometimes we don't, in the last two weeks... You know, Guriel has continued to hit and in my mind has played an above average left field. Thornton has had two great starts on the road at Houston and at Boston. Mm -hmm. And Jordan Romano has done what we've talked about. And to me, again, whether you're a fan or not or positive or negative, what really matters the most is who's a part of this going forward. What young players are going to be here when the team could conceivably be good? And they might have added two names to the list in Thornton and Romano in the last two weeks. It gets back to a a lack of
0: organizational pitching, like everything that we're talking about here. Like that's why Romano had to go down. The Blue Jays had that bullpen day, like I said, and they knew it was coming. And they just went with the bullpen because they did not have a starter. And I go back and forth on whether this team didn't acquire enough pitching in the offseason or whether circumstance has really bitten them in a hard way because you look at the injured list and you see Ryan Barucki. Yeah. Well, that's
1: definitely true circumstance has bitten them that's inarguable but in my should mind, they so. have
0: also built more depth and you know it's a little bit of both to me you look at that injured list you look the names on there if yep. they had right now a healthy ryan Brooky matt shoemaker who was phenomenal to start the year uh if edwin jackson he probably wouldn't even be he wouldn't here some here. of these guys yeah. are are healthy clay Buckholtz, another one right. if he had stayed healthy if you Thomas Panone right now is getting re-stretched out mm. after spending most of the year in the bullpen. Jacob Waguespack is just coming off the IL. As are Julian Merriweather, Um, you know who who's going to go right to the front of the line yeah. for for a look here in
1: in yeah. the majors at the beginning of the season. The rotation should have, could have, would have been Stroman, Sanchez. It's funny because Baruchy's name was on the outside looking in for yeah. a while, but Clayton Richard, Matt Shoemaker and then say Barucky, because Buck Holtz wasn't ready. So let's call Buck Holtz number six. And Thornton was going to AAA. So Thornton was going to Buffalo. Thornton would have been number seven. Yeah. Maybe Sean Reed Foley's number eight. Maybe Thomas Pannon's number nine. Wagaspak wasn't a, a, a serious hey that guy. So that's nine guys right there who you think. and Gaviglio. TJ Zoic well, that injury right.
0: TJ Zoic was going to start the year at Triple-A.
1: Right. And remember Sam Gavilio, although I think they knew they wanted him in the bullpen, he started whatever 17, 21, yeah. something like that. So they had nine or 10 guys. So I think they didn't acquire enough pitching has been slightly overstated and the circumstances is a bigger part of it. And I'm not trying to be, you know, Pollyanna or anything like that. A lot of things went wrong. Listen, if Sean Reed Foley were having a great a lights out year at AAA, he's doing what Ryan Barucki did last year. He's here, but that didn't work out. So, I mean, at this point, again, talking about possible Stroman deal, you've got to hope that Merriweather gets here. you got to hope that Barucki gets here. But they're both still, I mean, Merriweather just pitched his first game in the Gulf Coast League. Barucki, I don't think, has pitched in a game yet. So you're talking minimum 21 days, say, for either one of those guys. Zoik's just coming back and now Zoik's well. Just kind of, interesting to me because he's a little bit old. He's 23-24, well, former first-round pick. They moved him to Buffalo. He was really good. Yeah. He'll have maybe two more starts before the Major League All-Star break. If he's good... I think he's coming. I think they're going to move him pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, if Marcus Stroman leaves the rotation, uh yeah, you're going to have opportunities for a guy like Zoik. a guy like Merriweather, I think we're going to see in the big leagues this yeah. year.
1: You know, I think he's absolutely he's going to get his opportunity well, because, as well because they'd also love to get some return on the Donaldson deal and, and show that... you know <laughs> it would be nice optically. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Panone one is interesting to me that they're stretching him back out, and he's had two good starts at AAA because when he was with Toronto, he went through a stretch where he did really well in the bullpen. And then he, I think he had a couple of spot starts that weren't so good, but I think they're stretching him out again, more because of need than maybe they think that's his. I'm sure he's happy to be stretched out. Absolutely. Right. Because of need. Right. So if Stroman got traded tomorrow, Thomas Panone probably makes his start, you know, because they know him. He's on the forty, and he's stre- and he's stretched out. Maybe in Buffalo, Sean so. Reed
0: Foley. There's a bit of a school of thought in the organization right now that Sean Reed Foley maybe hit a bit of a roadblock as as a starter, you know, at AAA. He just wasn't getting past it. He was continuing to walk, guys. He's continuing to have kind of the same struggles that he's had through a lot of his career, very similar to Aaron Sanchez, just not throwing strikes. And there was a bit of thought that, okay, if we get him out of the bullpen in the major leagues, change the scenery, get him working with Pete Walker, let him come in and just air it out a little bit, you know, and just let his stuff play. He, in a way, got that opportunity last night in a slugfest at, at the Bronx. But I think we kind of saw a bit of the same guy last night, no? Walked...
1: Two or three? Yeah, two. In, definitely two. Definitely yeah. two, maybe three in two innings. Yeah. And I think you always give a guy a mulligan on his first time back in the majors right. and all that. But I'm no talent evaluator, but I have thought from the the moment I saw him pitch, that's a reliever. Yeah, The moment I saw him pitch. And, and I mean, if he doesn't command the strike zone, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, you can't walk a guy. And he walked 51 and 69 innings in Buffalo. You can't do that but if his 9394 becomes 9697 if he can jordan romano his way right. velocity plays in bullpens look at the yankees look at all the good bullpens around um he's got wicked off speed stuff yes, too he's, he's, a a he's got slider. really good stuff if he can air it out for six outs i think that's where they're at i have always thought he's a reliever yeah. but but Nobody asked me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, the the philosophy in a lot of organizations right now is you, ex- like every opportunity as a starter you give these guys because you have so much more value as a starter. That's the cold way that they look at it, right? Because yeah. when we look at you as a quote-unquote asset down the line, if you're a starter and you're pitching well as a
1: starter, that's worth a lot more to us than if you're in the bullpen and you're a one-inning guy. I agree with that, except the balance of power, as you know, has shifted where starters used to be in seven, eight inning guys, and you had a closer, and then the other relievers were yeah. Well, you don't want them in the game. Let's get <laughs> into the bullpen early. Remember that philosophy. Right. Let's get the starters' pitch count up, and we can get into the bullpen early. Do you really want to deal with some of these six, seventh, eighth inning guys who are coming out throwing? Like, do you really want to see Ryan Stanek? And I know Chad Green wasn't good in the game. Do you really want to see Chad Green? Like these guys are sometimes you know CC Sabathia who pitched six, but generally he's a five-inning guy. Hand it off to the bullpen. See you later. And, and
0: Five and dives. Yeah,
1: so I, I agree with you. There's more value as a starter, but I think the gap between starter value and reliever value has narrowed in recent years because you can't be a good team in 2019 if you don't have a good bullpen. It just doesn't work that way.
0: Yeah, I think we're we're starting to see that with the Boston Red Sox a little bit. You said they're still a
1: contender, but they need to address that bullpen in a big way. Yes, because I think Workman and Brazier and Barnes are all good pitchers, but I think if you had a guy at the end and then each of them was able to slot into a slottable spot, they would be fine, just like they were fine – Last year, obviously, when they won the World Series and whether it's Ken Giles or somebody out and I haven't gone through all of the non contenders to look at closers and see who might be traded. But, uh, you know, we know Dave Dombrowski is not afraid to make deals. So uh, I got to believe the Yankees are getting a starting pitcher and the Red Sox are getting a closer between now and the deadline.
0: Speaking of Boston, I feel like we should have a moment of appreciation for what Lourdes Gurriel Jr. did in front of the Green Monster in Fenway on the weekend when when we were there. You know, baseball being baseball, the first pitch the Red Sox put in play right. is hit right yeah. at him. Yeah. His first game left field, he's been playing the outfield for a month and a half. Hit right at him.
1: This ball is shot to left field. And boy, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., played that like it was no problem and ask an experienced outfielder what the toughest play you could have is and it's that line drive right at you. Yeah and remember he's a shortstop so he's always seen that trajectory from balls off the bat of a right-handed hitter. He's basically standing in the same perspective so he comes right in and I mean he makes it look easy. I tell you what, I don't know that I've ever seen a player make such a smooth transition from one position to another than Guriel has made to left. That ball was 106 miles an hour off the bat. Good play by Guriel.
0: Plays a calm, cool, collected, and then later on in that first inning.
2: The pitch for the right-hander. A low-line drive screaming into left-center field. A base hit. Cut off in the gap by Guriel. He'll play it back in quickly. That'll stop Ben Attendee at second base.
0: High off the monster. He has to play the carom plays it perfectly takes a good angle to it gets the ball hustles it back in holds the runner to
1: a single and he just continued like that all weekend yeah he had one ball that that got him a little bit and it's the trickiest ball off the monster it's the one you think you can catch so you run back to the wall and then you realize with a fraction of a second I can't it's going to hit the wall then you have to run back to the infield because now it's going to bounce and it bounced over his head but experienced outfielders have had yeah. that happen to what them. What
0: was the story you were telling the other day in Charlie's office? Oh, the George Bell story. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: George Bell's playing left field for the Blue Jays, and he, go, he goes back towards the wall, and he thinks the ball's going to hit the wall, so he runs back in towards the infield, and the ball just drops on the warning track. <laughs> 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 uh, but it, that's classic George Bell. But yeah. I think Lourdes Gurriel, you know what he's done since he's come back has been nothing short of remarkable. I think he's talented as hell. Like if the 25 Blue Jays walked by you, and you told somebody who had never seen a baseball game, only one of these guys is a baseball player. He looks like a baseball it's player. An athlete. He's six four, long arms and legs, and M. pretty good speed. Not great speed, pretty good speed. The throwing arm from the outfield is great. Mm-hmm. His ability, whether it's first step or just to track fly balls, which sometimes I think is something you have or you don't. He has it. I think he, he's doing really well. No more second. No more short. Just leave. <laughs> just right. Just leave him. <laughs> That check off a box, question answered. And I know they love versatility, and McKinney can play here, and Biggio can play there, and we'll see what other guys do. But the way he's swinging the bat is great. His chase rate, I looked it up a couple of days ago, which means, I know you know this, but for people who may not, the percentage of pitches he swings at out of the strike zone. It was forty-two percent before he was demoted. It's thirty-two percent since he's come back. That doesn't sound like a lot. That's a lot yeah. actually for him. That's a lot. He's never going to be Kevin Biscio, who's at twelve percent. He's never <laughs> going to be Justin Smoke, who's at twenty-one percent. But if a guy like Guriel can cut the chase down a little bit, he's going to do damage. And and I love baseball. I love watching good players. You know, th- this team is losing more than it's winning. I am excited when Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is in the lineup and hitting third and playing left field because he's got a chance to be a special player and that he's under control for four more years after this one at a very reasonable salary. Incredibly reasonable. Yeah. yeah. It's a seven year, $22 million deal. Oh yeah. So for all the things that haven't gone right, this is one that has gone right for this front office. And suddenly out of yes. left field, quite literally, no it pun started intended. Going, yes. yeah. it started going right, you yeah. know, and, and Listeners
0: of this podcast will know that I like pounded the table for Lourdes Goriel Jr. for a while, like when he was in the minors before he ever got to the majors. Cause I saw the same things you did when I would see him in New Hampshire, I'd see him in Buffalo. I'd be like, man, this guy is an athlete. Like, yeah. this guy is going to be really good. And baseball is such a funny game that he comes out of Cuba where he played six years in the Cuban League as a second baseman, as a shortstop. He comes here to North America and because of that athleticism is able to make plays that other middle infielders can't, is able to range really far into the hole and is able to use that arm that we've seen. And then sometimes you'd hit a ball right at him and it would go through his legs. Or you'd have to make a routine throw from second to first and yep. he'd bounce it. He's thinking about it. You could see it. Which yeah. was kind of remarkable. So the Blue Jays say, hey, go out to left field. And all of a sudden, he's this remarkable left fielder. Like baseball can be such a bizarre sport. You mean in like that Teoscar way. Hernandez becoming a center fielder? <laughs> right? Isn't it funny that and yeah. when that happened, everybody yeah. was you know killing the Jays. Are you going to put Teoscar Hernandez in center field? It hasn't been perfect, but he's been better in center than he
1: was in left. He's been better in center than he's been in left, which he would have to be in order to continue to play yeah. at all. I think I would say adequate, and I don't know if he's the answer long term in center field, I still think his bat tantalizes them. You know, when he drives a ball out to right field, you can see it. But again, like Guriel, we were talking about, he chases a lot. If he can cut down on the chase, and it's been better since he's come back, he can do a lot of damage. And I don't believe the center fielder for this team in 2021 is on this team right now. Interesting. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Alford. I don't know if it's somebody they're going to get in a trade. I don't know who it is. Randall Gritschuk would be the other internal candidate. Yes, in and Paris. again, he's a better right fielder than yeah. he is a center fielder. Teoscar's a better center fielder than he is a left fielder. So, is Guriel Hernandez Gritschuk, Is that the outfield of a team that can make the playoffs? I don't know if they're hitting. If they're hitting, right? Yes, but if, those guys if, if can if be hitting. so so inconsistent. Right? If Gritschuk and Teoscar can, instead of hitting two twenty with a two eighty on base, can they hit two sixty with a three thirty on base? Now you're talking. Mm-hmm. I also think the DH spot is going to be freed up next year. Justin Smoke, and I'm sure you feel the same way, is one of the greatest guys I've been around in my time in baseball. He's a phenomenal guy, and he's been a really good player for this team. I don't think he's going to be here next year, and I don't think he thinks he's going to be here next year. I think they're going to use that DH spot a little for Vlad, a little for Biggio, a little for Teoscar, a little for Guriel. As we said, they... Value versatility a lot, and I think they would love to cycle guys. telez could go there too. I think they would would love to cycle guys through the d h spot and always be able to move guys around and have a credible defensive team on the field.
0: They envision this Dodgers way of life where you've right. got a different defensive lineup, different, you know, batting order every day. And yep. yeah, Goryell plays left one day. Maybe he, you know, sees a day at second, Biggio's at second. Then he goes to first, maybe he sees a little corner outfield. Yep. You've got that DH spot open, which lets you open up third base to hitting Vlad off of there. Yep. Maybe, you know, in a year or two time, Vlad's playing a little first (laughs) you know you've got this this flexibility and this fluidity which makes life a lot easier to play the matchups game that the Blue Jays like to analytically and in terms of you know how do certain hitters match up against this pitcher how do their bat pass match up against their spin rates things like that the Blue Jays are looking into this stuff and trying to make those
1: decisions but you need that kind of defensive versatility in order to really maximize that right too that you need buy-in from the players too because they'll do it if they're told to do it but if they don't buy in they won't do it as well as they can and I've done a zillion Dodger games in the last couple of years and what Chris Taylor and Kike Hernandez and Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger have done is remarkable it really is Bellinger came up as a first baseman center fielder he was their best first baseman he was their best center fielder then Max Muncy came up and was a way better hitter than they thought he was going to be so now where do they put him he's He's not a great defensive player. They put him at first base a fair bit. And then Alex Verdugo comes out of the farm system, and he's really good. So now they're going to trade Puig, which they had to do anyways, in my opinion. And now Bellinger, who's the best center fielder they've got, is playing right field. And he's doing it without complaining about it. The other thing, one last thing about Guriel. Again, if it were me, if they're looking for another position for Guriel to play, in my mind, it would be first base. I would try him there. Left field, first base. We don't know. I still don't think we know what Rowdy Telez is going to be ultimately. There's clear upside. Okay, there's a lot of swing and miss, and a lot of chase, and and what is he like as a defender? If they really want to move Guriel around, I'd love to see him winter ball, spring training, get some reps at first base. And they're going to have a second baseman, whether it's Biggio, whether it's Bichette, Kevin Smith, whether it's Smith, whether it's. Roshans is probably on the other side of the field. I don't know. But yeah, they're not going to be looking for a second baseman, a shortstop, or a third baseman. Those three positions they're going to have covered. To me, it's outfield and first base where you still have a little more uncertainty as to how it plays out.
0: Maybe we could talk about Biggio a little bit just to wrap up because Charlie Montoyo was talking about him yesterday in the office when we were in there with him. And Charlie Montoyo is very positive about all of his young players. But he talks about Kevin Biggio a little differently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that yeah, difference.
1: Yeah. I, I don't want to well, see He him. quoted a goofy stat that I had given him five minutes before in his, <laughs> it in took in credit his program for it. yesterday. Yeah,
0: yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah and, and yeah, you had the stats on Twitter the other day about the chase rate, about the walk rate. just And about the hard hit rate. The hard hit. and the Like fact. Joey Gallo won, Kevin Biggio two. And how often do we see guys who do these things in the minors and get their first taste of the majors? And it's a different world, and a different experience, and it's moving faster, and yeah. the pitches are sharper, and they have more bite, and they can't handle it. Kevin Biggio, you know, he was never going to replicate everything exactly when he came up to the majors. He's pretty close.
1: It's remarkably close. He is trying and succeeding in staying with his plan. This is who I am, and if I do the things that I know I can do, the results will be there. There's no panic in him. There's no accelerated heart rate, none of that stuff. That's amazing. Now, he's older than Vlad. He's more experienced in some ways than Gurriel. You know, He's a college kid, played at Notre Dame and that sort of thing. But there are many things to like about him. I think the intangibles are off the charts. He's a left-handed batter, which is great. They have way more right-handed batters. To me, he's been fine defensively, Buck and I were talking on and off the air last night, and he had a tricky play at second last night for all the innings he spent at second base. Almost all of his plays seem to us seem to have been routine. We really haven't seen the well, can he do this or how would he react on that like Vlad's had all kinds of crazy plays at third, <laughs> and that's how you learn what he needs to work on. Biggio does, doesn 't seem to have had them yet, so I think we're still learning about him defensively, but his insistence on taking pitches on not chasing pitches, is fantastic. It's remarkable. And his hard hit rate, his fly ball rate, what, all that stuff. He, he gets the ball in the air. And then it's the little things. Gritchick is playing center. Biggio's playing right at Fenway. And Gritchick has to go back on a ball towards the triangle. And as soon as the ball is hit, Biggio is racing over from right field, knowing if Gritchick has to run up against that wall, the ball could bounce by him and back in towards basically straightaway center field. Right. But Biggio's going to be there to pick it up later in the game. Runner at second, nobody out. Not bunting. That doesn't happen anymore. But you could tell from his swings the way he was he was trying to hook the ball. Yeah. Like from the first pitch. And he hits a fly ball to right field, and the runner advances move to third. Over. Move him over. It's moving a runner over is not a bad thing. If you get a hit to the right side, great. Yeah. But if not, at least you move him over. And you know Charlie as well as I do. You know, Charlie he is... Loves that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> if Charlie will take... A smart player and a fundamentally sound player over anything else. Those are, I think, the two things he loves the best. Be smart and do the right thing out there. And Biggio has all of it. And whether it comes from Craig or whatever, you know, his dad, who knows. But I think he's going to be, you know, is his upside as high as Bichette or Vlad? Maybe not. But for a fifth round pick, if they could get a guy who could be a really good player and a and a leader, and a guy the other players can learn from, even though he's not a vocal leader, but just a learn-by-example kind of guy. I mean, what a find this guy could be.
0: If you asked people about him a couple years ago, they would say, org guy. You right. know, like, yeah, maybe he works out, maybe he doesn't, but, you know, we've seen this guy before, right? We've seen this profile before, and, and then he goes out and, had, you know, puts together a great year and a half in the minors, and now yeah. here he is, probably before a lot of us even thought he was going to get to the majors, didn't spend a lot of time at AAA, A. Cavan Biggio and clearly didn't need to you know I don't think you're ever going to see a you know 330 batting average from him but I think you're going to see a
1: lot of walks and I think you're going to see a good amount of home runs oh yeah I mean he could walk a hundred times he walked a hundred times in the minors in a short season if he can hit 250 he can have an on-base percentage of like 370 he has 18 walks in his first 26 games in the majors right so project that out that's over a (laughs) hundred walks on the season yeah I I mean if you can walk a hundred times and hit 25 home runs you're doing things to help your team win before some of the other stuff that he already 30 does. 30
0: teams will take that.
1: Yeah. It's funny because I think sometimes, and I'm a little older than you and I, sometimes you look at a guy and you say, well, he doesn't look like a guy who would play that position. I can't imagine him being a full-time first baseman. Right. Not that he shouldn't. If it looks he can like play there's more position. there, you mean? Well, First basemen are supposed to be like 230 pounds and sluggers. And and, and I know he could hit more home runs than Rowdy to Who knows? But to me, Biggio looks more like a second baseman or a right fielder or something. But I like that he has versatility. I understand them wanting to max out on the versatility. He played five positions at AAA this year. Five's a lot. Three's okay, you know? <laughs> you know, Second right, does he need to play third? And he hasn't played third for the Blue Jays, but he played it a fair bit in Buffalo. He had one game in left, I think, and kind of got eaten up by a really tricky ball, like the kind of one that you were talking about with Gurriel. Yeah. But whether it's second right, first, you know, when this team is good, he might hit first, he might hit second, he might hit fifth, you know, and again, you start playing the game of what they look like in 2021. The top four in the order, in some order, could be Bichette, Biggio, Vlad, Guriel, in some order. I don't yeah. know what order. That's
0: pretty fun four sons of professionals yes right yeah and you know four and that is part of the the biggio experience when you're around him you notice this guy carries himself like a pro absolutely this guy fits in immediately and seamlessly and Bachet's going to do the same thing when he gets here yes i spent a lot of time around bo Bichette and he has the that exact same gene i think vladimir guerrero jr has it Lourdes guerrero jr's father is a legend in cuba he grew up in a baseball family i mean his life is baseball and he's been around professional environments for a long long time that takes away a bit of the edge when these guys first get to the majors Mm -hmm. you know like i've i've really noticed this on this trip like i did the raptors for like two months right so i was away from the team and i'm i'm looking at the box scores i'm looking at the results and i'm thinking man it's probably grim in that clubhouse it's probably pretty dour i've been around this team now for you know through boston in new york That clubhouse is pretty upbeat. It is. That clubhouse Uh, is pretty professional and pretty positive for a team that's 20 games under 500.
1: I think there's enough IQ in there to understand this is a process. And wins and losses aren't the most important thing. And also, like two years ago, if I said to you, who are the dominant personalities in the clubhouse? Bautista, Martin, Donaldson, Donaldson so now if you walk in and not and and I'm not saying dominant in a good way or a bad way but whose personality is kind of who sets the tone who sets the tone right so it's the young guys clubhouse right now I mean Smoke is still there Sogard Galvis Clayton Richard they have value as leaders in that clubhouse Mm -hmm. in in my opinion but who's making the noise when we walk into the clubhouse who's having the fun and and when Bichette gets here it's going to be because he's got personality too like he's he's got presence he's cocky and that's fine And I think the young kids, it's still new enough that they're having fun, and I think they know it's going to get better. How much better? How quickly? (laughs) We don't know, but it is going to get better. How much are they just happy to be in the big
0: leagues, right? And they've got that big league per diem, and they're on the charter. They're staying at nice hotels. like. Beats Ryan buses between you know absolutely. Buffalo and Pennsylvania or yeah, whatever absolutely. they were doing. There are worse
1: things to be than a uh, you know single twenty four year old major league baseball player.
0: <laughs> but but how much of it is yeah. also a bit of an inherent baseball gene that I think that a lot of these sons of big leaguers have. And like we we saw you know the Blue Jays obviously covet you know those bloodlines and that type of player. And I'm starting to really understand the benefit of that now as these guys get to the big leagues. You just kind of see it up close. You see the way they handle failure, yeah. the way they deal with adversity, and the way
1: they interact with each other. I feel a big read coming on Sportsnet.ca. <laughs> I think I've already done it
0: four or five
1: times. Yeah. I did
0: a, you know, two Guerrero ones. I did a Bichette one. Yeah. I did a uh, Gurriel one. Yeah, it's
1: interesting because I think especially in the, and I don't know Bichette yet, but I think yeah. of the ones I know, He's especially, the I promise yeah, you. Yeah, especially yeah. in the case of Biggio, there is a sense of, Let's get to work, boys. This is yeah. what I have to do to be successful, and I am going to do it. And whether that comes from his dad or whether it's just you know innate in his DNA, I don't know. And I think they're going to rub off on all of the other young players. This is from my life in the basketball world, but I had a basketball coach say to me once, when your best players are your hardest workers your job is easy as a coach. You need your good players to have good work habits. If your best players don't have good work habits, then the weaker players look at the best players who are the cool guys and say, well, maybe I'll do it the way that he does it. They need their other players to understand they got to do it the way that Bichette does it and Biggio does it. Guriel does it. Vlad's an interesting one. You know, Vlad, there are some things to work on there. I'm not saying he's not a hard worker. I'm saying I hear the other guys mentioned by the coaches more often. Yeah. Guriel loves to work. He's in early Biggio this. If this year keeps going the way it goes for Vlad, it'll be an interesting off season for him because this is the first time he's ever, he just overwhelmed people with his talent all the way up through the minors. And he's probably not doing quite as well as he thought he would do really? right now. And the talent is there. Obviously, he's going to get better. But... You know, does he go home after the season or even now? Is he saying to himself, I've got to work more at this, I've got to work more at that, whatever this and that might be? That's not a bad thing to think. And I think it's good for all of the other players on the team if Vlad and Guriel and Biggio and Bichette are real workers. And it looks like, for the most part, that's true. It's, it's hard for fans
0: to see now because of where the team's record is and because of some of the losses that the Blue Jays have suffered this year, some of the growing pains they've been through. But you do see kind of the roots. You know, like you do see the, the base being, you know, the foundation being laid here. And is it going to work out or not? Who knows? The right. Blue Jays need some pitching. Yeah. <laughs> they need to get some pitching. They might need a, a center fielder. Like you said, you know, the center fielder of 2021 might not be here right now. There's still work to be done. But yep. you you definitely see the foundation being laid of what this team may
1: one day be. Well, those four guys are special. Right. Uh, I If I don't know that there is a team in baseball, maybe Atlanta, If you could pick any four players off any other team, would you trade these four guys for any other team's four guys? I don't know if you would right? because they all have a chance to be special. And I hope a year from now he's a pitcher, but I hope a year from now we're talking about Nate Pearson the same way. Like I think they've got five guys who could be special. They need twenty other players. <laughs> and and you know, it's beyond Mike, that. And beyond. You right. need forty. Really. Right. And there's no question the depth is improving. Some of it's ready to help, some of it's not. It's the old Mike Trout thing. He's the greatest player in the last twenty years. Maybe one of the, you know, he'll go down as one of the greatest players of all time. He's never won a playoff game. You yeah. need you need help around him. Help is coming. It feels like for two or three years there's been a bit of a bad luck black cloud you know pearson takes a, a line drive off his arm basically loses a year what's barucky with the elbow in two those things years, are in baseball,
0: going to happen they're going to happen which is
1: why you need more that's right? the game right you know in two years is the rotation pearson barucky thornton murphy zoik just playing just throwing yeah, names yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah. Is that possible and if it's possible is it good enough
0: I think that could be your three through seven and hopefully you've acquired a, a one two. <laughs> Where have you acquired them from? You've traded or you've signed a free agent. You know, you've packaged yeah. some of the prospect capital that you've built, some of the international signings that you've made. Yeah. You package guys and you acquire some pitching. Maybe you can convince a guy to sign as a free agent in Toronto.
1: We haven't seen too many frontline starting pitchers sign to yeah. in Toronto. Yeah. I'd sign here sooner as a hitter than as a pitcher. Right because it's a hitter's park. And the um, league, too. Yes, and it's the American League East. And to get a big-time pitcher to come to Toronto, I think you're going to have to do two things. You're definitely going to have to have the highest offer on yes. the table, and you're going to have to be close enough to win that he thinks you're going to win. I think it's going to be easier to, for them to get it in trade um, than as a free agent. But you make uh, your I, Chris Sale deal. You know, I mean, yep. You do your version of that. Yep, but... You can't do that unless you're really ready to win. I think. So But the clock
0: is ticking in a sense when you think that Guerrero's here now, mm-hmm. you know, Biggio's here, Bichette's gonna be here before the end of the year. Which means they'll all be free agents after twenty five. 2025 right yeah. the the zero to three you know years yeah. when you're just renewing contracts yeah. at half a million bucks a pop I mean the excess value you get and not to get like two into the weeds of front office stuff, but the, yeah. the excess value you get there is so so valuable mm-hmm. that frees up money you can spend on other players around them to build this team yep. those players start hitting arbitration they start getting costly maybe you're looking at, at an, an extension, maybe you don't they're approaching free
1: agency they're costing you more yeah. the clock's ticking. As Yogi Berra said, it gets late early. So you're right. It's going to move, and they need to have some arms here. The arms can't get here in year five. If we call this year one, some of the arms have to start showing up in year two, Mm -hmm. and they've got to have a really, really good idea of what they've got and what they need by year three, in my mind. I mean, they could be a quasi-contender in two years. It's not beyond the realm of possibility, but... I'd like to hold on to the hope that Pearson's the number one. So you said three through seven. How about if I say one and four through seven sure, or something yeah. like that? So, <laughs> I mean, his numbers are extraordinary down in the minors. So I don't think we're going to see him this year. I think we'll see him next year. You know, Kloffenstein looks – or Kloffenstein, I'm still unsure. Kloffenstein I think, it I looks like he'll Stein. be – this Stein. Yeah, okay. I believe so. Yeah, Kloffenstein looks like he's got a chance to be really, really interesting, but he's young. Mm-hmm. Manoa's a college kid. Is Alec Manoa – in August of next year is he making his major league debut who what is him, so? Eric Pardino very young <laughs> isn't he only he's still only it's 18 teenager, 19 right? yeah, yeah. He's, so like it's not like they don't have guys who look interesting but like Biggio so they hit on Biggio Biggio has turned into more than Blue Jay management if they thought he was going to be this good he wouldn't have been a fifth round pick right? yeah There's got to be one or two of those stories on the pitching side. They've got a hit on somebody. Maybe it's a Yancy Diaz. Maybe it's... Uh, what's his name Hector Perez who they got from sure. Houston turning into a, a closer we don't know they've got a hit on something on the pitching side in the next year or so I think. and that's so. why you spread it around
0: so much prospect capital and you just kind of give yourself a greater you know you put your more chips around the, the craps table you know right. well, they, <laughs> and the if table. they trade
1: Giles and Stroman it's going to hurt the wins and losses for the Blue Jays this year but it's going to be more chips on the table we'll be here to watch it Dan thank you so much thank you
0: All right, that's going to be it for At The Letters, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger, featuring trail control technology designed for low-traction, rugged terrain. Thanks to Dan Schulman for taking the time. Always interesting to hear his thoughts. Follow him on Twitter, at Schulman underscore ESPN. Thanks to Amal Dalic back in Toronto for putting this all together. He's on Twitter, at A-M-A-N-D-E-L-I-C. I'm Arden Zwelling, of course. You can read me as always at Sportsnet. I've written more things than I can count on this trip. Uh, I guess most recently, I-, I caught up with Edwin Encarnacion, who's now a New York Yankee, apparently, if you can stomach it, as a Blue Jays fan. And what a strange timeline we followed, you know? Edwin Encarnacion is leading the American League in home runs while wearing pinstripes he's probably going to come back to rogers center later this summer in a yankees uniform maybe even hit a home run uh and run around the bases with the ed wing extended what a world uh so you can read edwin's thoughts on the current blue jays and his season uh and even his old pal jose bautista at sportsnet.ca so that's going to be it thank you as always for listening we'll be back next week talk to you then on at the letters.